The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. It's been a, um, a humbling morning. Uh, late last night, and by late I mean 6pm, that's, that's the age I am at the moment. I texted my wife and I said, hey, I'm having trouble rounding off my sermon. And because I'm really patient, after 10 minutes of not hearing back from her, I texted Brian. And I delayed texting Brian first because, you know, thing, there's things going on and me preaching is technically his week off and so I didn't want to bother him with it. But I sent through my sermon and he read over it and we talked through it. And, um, you know, I've learned as I've, as I've got up to share, um, either in hosting or teaching, to trust in God. I, I like talking. I don't know if you know that. Um, and so I've never really had a problem being in front of large crowds. I know that's a fear for a lot of people. It doesn't bother me. I don't mind making a fool of myself or any of that type of thing. And so it is a, it's a, a real intentionality for me to trust in God in an area where I feel so confident. And there's there's a couple of, there was a point in time when, when in, in my journey of preaching, I was ill, and I hadn't written my sermon yet, and there was a point where I was like, okay, I can pass on to Brian, or I can give it a go, and I, I was a bit stubborn, I was like, no, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it. And I came on that Sunday, and like, I got the best feedback from the congregation, um, and I was like, okay, cool, that's good to know. And so... You know, I've learned that, like, I don't have to have every answer or every insight or every piece of knowledge. But there's still, like, a desire within me, um, being who I am and my profession and things, to be prepared and as prepared as possible. And what I love to do is, at the end of a sermon, give you something that's, like, tangible, that's wrapped up neatly, little box, you can open it, you can take it away with the week. It's accessible and it's easy. And I didn't have that. And that was part of my rationale for messaging my wife and talking with Brian. And it was humbling because Ashley gets up here and he's just like, oh, I'm never prepared. <laughs> I just go with what's going on. And then he shares, and I don't know why you shared that story because I have heard that before. And every time I hear it, it is a blessing. But you captured what I wanted to say in my sermon. And then we passed it out of here and you shared in two different spaces. And again, you captured what was and we go over here, and we hear from Beth, and again, an, an application of it. And then my dad, my dad tells me the same jokes again and again, but he doesn't tell me his testimonies like this. So I'm hearing for the first time, like you, this testimony, which again has that application, that the crux of my sermon in those day-to-day -day aspects of their life. And so I was humbled because... I was sitting there thinking about how am I going to do this and toiling over here. We're good to go. <laughs> you sit there and talk now. So what I'm going to do is while I'm preaching and referencing the story of Abraham, I'm going to try and pull from these stories that you've heard today to show you where for me they're connected. Um, and I might not even need to do that. You might see the connection already. But we're in Genesis Chapter 14, we're in the second half of that. And I'm just going to read through the scripture um, in a moment. But I wanted to begin with a question. And I'm asking myself this question, ironically, 
as much today as I'm asking you. So on the left, the question is, do we live and work for the favor, the applause and reward of people? Or do we work for the blessing of God to bless him because we are blessed by him? I'm going to let you hold that for a moment. For people, for the human element, or for the blessing of God to bless him because we're blessed by him. So in verse 17, it says, After Abraham returned from his victory over, I'm going to call him King K, because that's a name I don't want to pronounce, and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavir, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God, the Mo of God Most High, brought Abraham some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you, Otherwise, you might say, I'm the one who made Abraham rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of goods to my allies, Enur, Eshkol, and Mamre. Now, if you're anything like me, and you just read that passage, you might be wondering what on earth is going on. So I went back in preparation, and I read, the entirety of chapter 14, and I also read chapter 13. And where our passage takes off, if I come back to the beginning here, it says, after Abraham returned from his victory over King K. There's a bit of history there. So Brian preached on it um, last week, that passage. And what it was, was there was a group of kings and collective um, who seemed to have been in some sort of alliance and a portion of those kings decided they no longer wanted to sit under Mr. K. And so they end up rebelling, separating off. King K and his alliances then a year later go, and they end up taking over and battling a number of people, a um, number of groups that we've heard about. And after their victory in that space, the, the kings who rebelled came out and prepared for battle. And they're in this valley, and the valley says it's filled with tar pits, and so it's not great conditions for fighting. And so the kingdoms or the soldiers from the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah, they flee. And having fled, this group of oppressive kings goes and they pillage those two kingdoms. And in doing so, they take Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, in, and they capture him. But someone from there, who's mentioned right at the end there, I believe it's Mamre, escapes, and he goes and he alerts Abraham to the fact that Lot has been taken. 
And so just like your quintessential movie, I don't know if you've seen the John Wick trilogy. I don't know what the word for a four series movies is. Quadrilogy, maybe. He leaps into action. He gets together over 300 of his trained men and they go and they seek out these five kings and they defeat them in battle. And they talk about like how they separate them and so on and so forth. And so I'm sitting there with that in my mind as I read through the beginning of chapter 14. And then we come to the start here. So Abraham's just defeated this king who, as far as record goes, is probably for around 13 years at least been reigning over these territories. Um, enough of a diddly squat to have these other kings want to rebel against him. And Abraham, with a troop of 300 people, takes down all five nations. Gets Lot, gets the goods that were taken, he recovers those, and he brings back the captives as well. And then we see that while he's there, the king of Sodom comes out to meet him, the king of Melchizedek, and we read about the blessing, the bread and the wine, the giving of a tenth of what he has. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I watch movies these days, I'm so used to how they play out that I don't question plot elements that aren't actually explained prior. They're just tropes of what happens in a movie. So you're like, all of a sudden, there's like this person who can supply them with everything they need, but they're not introduced at a different point. And so you kind of skim over these details. And if you do the same here, knowing the meaning of a lot of what comes out in here, you might miss some things. So I want to start here and talk about the fact that prior to this, in the earlier verses of chapter 14, there's not necessarily a way in which the fact that Abraham has gone and sought after this king, King Kudalamir. And so the question is, how did the king of Sodom and the king of Salem know to come and meet Abraham? And you can connect some dots, you know, maybe the fact that he had taken down this incredibly oppressive king and all of his nations would have spread. But we're not told how recently after these events took place and how long those events took. And so we're left a little unpuzzled. And then we see here that the king of Salem, who wasn't previously mentioned before in this chapter, nor prior in the Bible, King Melchizedek, and I know some of you will be familiar with that name, he shows up, and the first thing he does is he offers Abraham some bread and wine. Now, some people believe that offering a bread and wine at that time, because this is 14 generations before the first communion, was maybe a symbolism of hospitality, and there was a need that in that gesture for him to sit and to savor the taste of that and to connect in. But for us, with our knowledge of the Bible and the communion and the fact that we take communion on a regular basis here, that holds meaning for us. But it didn't necessarily at that time hold that same meaning for either Abraham or Melchizedek. We then have a blessing, and as far as I'm aware, that would be a fairly standard procedure. Blessings were given. And we see, after this blessing, the first thing Abraham believes he should do is give a tenth of all the goods that he had in that moment. And again, it's a descendant of Abraham and the Levites 
who become that priestly priesthood, priestly priesthood, that works, who then are responsible for receiving a tenth of the goods or the sacrifices. And there's a meaning there, but at that time, that didn't necessarily hold the same meaning that we come to know. And so I want to stop for a moment and highlight the fact that in this story, if you were to just read it and you go, oh yeah, okay, cool, they're meeting, that makes sense. Obviously, someone knows something and they've come out and there's this like glorious, like, you know, everyone's behind him and he's walking down and he comes into a valley and he meets these kings, one of whom's never been introduced in the story before, gets given some bread and wine, that must hold meaning. We know what that means. There's a, an exchange of words and a blessing. And then in response to that, a gift of 10%, which again, holds meaning for us. And you've got to wonder, is God just playing with us at this point? There's a foreshadowing here that while at this particular point in time, those didn't necessarily hold the same meaning that the people involved in the story would know, there was this just innate, natural desire to act in this way. And so in this interaction here, we see a sense of God partaking. Did Melchizedek feel a prompt, a sense, to go out and offer bread and wine? And in that interaction, Abraham feel that same sense of, I've got to give you a gift here. And specifically a tenth? There was such a deliberateness and an intentionality to that action that we see. And so we see God's handiwork here. And if I take you back to that first question I asked, we see that Abraham blesses Melchizedek because he was blessed by Melchizedek. There was a trusting there. We then see another interaction. And the king of Sodom has been a part of this story you know, if, it, if we were playing this, it's an action movie in my head, just so you know, that's why I keep referencing it. But if it's this action movie, you know, there's these kings and they've formed this uh, alliance and then all of a sudden there's a break, there's a division and they go off. And these kings are defeated and they need a hero. I need a hero. I'm holding on for a hero to the end. That, I saw Super Mario Brothers yesterday, it was in that song. And this hero comes along. And Abraham did, with 300 men, what four or five nations were unable to do. And the first thing he does is bargain with Abraham. He goes, if you give back my people who were captured, you can keep everything else that was recovered. And I don't know whether Abraham would have kept it, had the king of Sodom, King Berah, not offered that as a bargain. But he senses something in that offering, that bargain, that he doesn't like. And he says, look, I swear to the Lord above that I'm not going to take anything other than what my men have already eaten, unless, or for, so that you're unable to say that you were the one who made me rich. He sensed there were strings attached in that. And that bargain that King Bera made is the human thing to do. I want my people back. 
And in exchange for my people, I will give you this. But that is fallen humanity at work, where Melchizedek comes and he offers something that holds such symbolism for us now. King Bera does what he can in his own manner, his own self-esteem, to try and provide and get back what it is that he has for those people. And I think here about the story that Ashley shared, where he says three years ago he set out and he made this business, and people who were around him were like, what on earth are you doing? You're crazy. It's COVID. How are you going to do this? Did you say you've never advertised? And how many people do you have working under you? Six. And you've always got work. Always got work. Too much work? Work for the next year and a half. You know, and I know you alluded to this, Ashley, but you see God at work in that. And while you could have gone and you could have done the natural thing of setting up a business in a sustainable time, putting out advertisements and all that sort of stuff, you trusted in what God was doing. And you had that sense, and you've always had that sense in your business. And you've seen a blessing because of it. And I think about the story that my dad shared. I didn't realize that, Dad, that you, you weren't comfortable going to this business. And you went anyway. And I know you went there and you, you kind of went along and, and we've had these people leave. And you're offered another job, that stability, that certainty, that in a human sense makes sense. Because why would you not take the comfortable, the certain route to know that you could provide for your family, but instead you're trusting in the provision of God? The other interesting thing here is that um, if you go back into... Genesis chapter 13. We're told that the reason why Lot disappeared, which if you connect the dots is the reason why Abraham was mobilized because Lot was captured. The reason why Lot was in Sodom at all was because it got to a point where they had so much that there were disputes amongst the herdsmen. That there was not enough land for how much they had that one of them had to leave. And we're told after that, in verses 14 to 15, that the Lord said to Abram after, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Abram didn't need what Bera was offering him. As far as we can tell, he had enough livestock, he had enough there, and he had the land to cope with it. And like I said, I don't know if that exchange went differently and King Bera didn't make that bargain with him, would he have taken it? But we see here that Abraham is learning to trust in the provision of God. Funnily enough, I, I, are you guys familiar with ChatGPT? Anyone aware of that? Some people? It's, um, it's AI, artificial intelligence. And it's like a search engine, but you can put in into it various things, and it kind of gives you an ability. It's, it's helping students at the moment to write their essays and things like that. I was on it this morning, and I was like, give me a meal plan based on this protein intake, and it spits it out. It's phenomenal. But last week, I was like, oh, let's see what it has to say. So, uh, write me a sermon based on Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 24, focusing on the interactions. And 
It gave me a sermon. It wasn't great. It repeated the same thing again and again. But an artificial intelligence picked up on the fact that Abraham would rather honor what it was that God had given him and trust in the provision of God so that instead of having a man say, I made you rich, he could honor God and what he was. And I was baffled. I was like, at what point? You know, I know all creation will sing his praises. But does artificial intelligence, a robot, understand the story? And for me, that is what it was that captured it. When I read this through, the thing that stood out to me was these two interactions and the difference between them. And I shared at the beginning here, I didn't know how to, how to wrap that off because that second interaction, I didn't know how to frame. Because it's not necessarily good, Melchizedek, and bad, Bera. It sits somewhere in a continuum there, but King Bera, even though he did the fallen humanity thing, and we could quantify that as evil, he did, at that time, what any reasonable villain or you know, character in a, in a story would do. That's how we tell stories in Hollywood. Someone comes up and they make that bargain. And so when I was on the phone with Brian yesterday, that's how he found He said he did the human thing. And so what I wanted to do was, rather than offer for you what the takeaway here is, I want to kind of return to the question that I asked at the beginning, but framed in a slightly different way. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here um, before the worship team come back up. And I just want you to consider that story of Abraham and his interactions with Melchizedek and his interactions with Bera. And I want you to think about some of the stories we heard here where we heard of trusting in God, whether it be in business or in death or in restoration of furniture and the speaking that we hear. And I want you to consider whether it be a challenge or in Abraham's case, a victory. Whose praise are you looking for? Whose blessing are you after? Whose provision do you trust? Who are you relying on? And then to consider as well, how is it you discern what is a righteous response to those offerings, to those bargains, to those scenarios you find yourself in, the advice that we get given when we set out on business? or when we're given offerings of jobs, or we're driving around and we feel this inkling of unforgiveness in us. What's the righteous response? And what response is shrouded in that fallen humanity, that trust in your own self, that feelings that we heard Mike talk about? And subsequently, how do you discern what comes with strings attached and what comes without strings attached? And I don't necessarily have those answers there for you, but I'm learning that I don't need to. We heard so many stories here of how that plays out, and I'm sure we could hear more. And so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to sit and think. And being the teacher that I am, I'd honestly love to hear from some of you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.